Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, good morning. Good day. Good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, you're tuning in to Line Drive Radio. Welcome aboard. It is Wednesday, June 23rd. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, hanging out here in the great city of New York. And I'm chilling, as always, talking baseball with my Line Drive teammate, Mr. Tad Bamford from the great city of Chicago. What's going on, buddy? How you feeling today? It is, uh, it's Wednesday. Uh, and it is pouring rain here in Chicago, which, uh, you know, I think will be exciting for those of us that are desperate to have a baseball game for our kids uh, get postponed uh, after a long weekend of chasing them around the great city of Milwaukee. Uh, no, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a good week to be talking baseball uh, after we enjoyed some, uh, some sticky conversations last week. We tried to keep our conversation from being too tacky, but we—it's uh, it, good to be back to uh, checking gloves and belts and hats and cups and everything isn't else for Tab, substances. Is it really, is it really no, it's good? Looks, no, it's not. But it hey, looks... look, look—if we can get—if uh, we can get a feud between uh, Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Nationals, and Joe Girardi on the side here, that would be fun. You know why not? Let's—you know—let's check Max Scherzer when he's not pitching. <laughs> Let, let, let's go. Let's go check his glove during his side session, just to make sure that he's not trying to increase his spin rate when he's working on a off day. What a fiasco! We talked about it here last week about the league putting this, these rules down, and the uh, and we we talked about how are they going to do this? How are they going to police it? And I tell you, it came to a head last night, and it's very early in this whole thing. You know, uh, we talked about Jared Cole's press conference last week on Spider Attack and how awful that was. He gets he gets through his checks, and uh, last night was just unbelievable. Sergio uh, Romo there with the A's, and the uh, aforementioned Max Scherzer there that you spoke about with uh, Girardi getting ejected, uh, the Nats and the Phillies, uh, both of these guys unbuckling their pants. Um, just... Well, look, Paul, I think at this <laughs> point. At least now, Major League Baseball can negotiate a sponsorship with TSA for the umpires uh, because you're getting a stiffer check trying to get out of the first inning than you do to get through security at Midway Airport. <laughs> I mean, it's 
It's ridiculous. It's like, yeah, you know what? What, what kind of what kind of goop do you have in your cup that we have to worry about that you're doctoring balls? It's just not it. And for you know a commissioner's office that's been so worried about the image of the game and been so self conscious about how long games take, now we're going to stop for ninety seconds every inning and check the pitcher out. Well, guess what? No TV network is going to go to commercial while they're getting patted down. Because they want to see what it looks like. They want to see what goes on. You know, I think Jacob deGrom did a great job. He just laughed it off. He was like, I got nothing to hide. Bring it. But, I mean, Scherzer wasn't happy. Nobody was happy. I mean, the Nationals pitching coach was about ready to launch Joe Girardi into the sun last night. So, it, it it's all just... And, look, I understand that baseball's worried about the strikeouts and they're worried about the way that guys are pitching. But at the same time, we talked about it last week for almost an hour. You can't change rules in the middle of the season. And we've already got some injuries that we got to deal with. And, you know, Toronto's rookie Alex Manoa got suspended for five games for throwing at a guy. You know, I think now you're going to have pitchers that are going to legitimately have a complaint if they get suspended for plunking somebody you know, a fine or a suspension because they can't grip the balls well and just say, Hey, no suntan lotion, no rosin. I don't, you know, I don't get to have the eucalyptus cough drops in my mouth anymore. So what do you want me to do? I'm trying to throw on the inner half and I can't control my pitch. And guys are going to use the incompetence excuse to try and get out of fines and suspensions. And what's major league baseball supposed to say, go find something that's sticky, get a grip, Another Aerosmith reference. I think that's three weeks in a row for us. But no, it's, it's like, what are we doing? Get here? Steven Tyler's email for God's sakes already. Oh. So look, you you sound yeah. you see uh, you sound kind of calm and reserved about this whole thing. Uh, like, uh, what'd you expect or whatever? I'm looking at this and let's cut through this. This just looks awful. It's laughing stock. It's kind of stuff. What's going on last night? Just, um, you know, we, we started this podcast about the excitement and the hope of this game, the players, um, you know, just uh, how, how how the league was looking to kind of move forward, come out of the COVID thing, uh, you know, and all these exciting players. And this is taking center stage right now. And it's all across, I mean, just the commentary, I'm sure, you know, anybody who's a, a baseball fan and on social media, just the memes, the the, the the Twitter, the I mean, everybody, I think, accordingly was on the same page about how awful this just looked for the game. And I think that's the worst part of it. Now, granted, we could sit back here and, and go back in time and think of other times in, in, in other seasons. You know, we, we talked about, you know, uh, Sosa here and the balls and, and everything else and bonds. And you can go up and down with uh, different parts of uh, different seasons over the year where this, you know, baseball's never been perfect. And you don't expect that it is. But just this seems, uh, you know, this is something that's created here by the league. And it's totally, I think, exploded in their face last night. And I'm also going to say this, too. I am, again, you know, me and you being, uh, you know, hockey guys, or you look at other uh, leagues like the NFL, the NBA, but definitely here in baseball, I am just applauding the fact that these players, you know, seeing Romo last night and Scherzer just kind of, hey, look, man, let's make a show of this whole thing. And, and it becomes a, yep. like a Saturday Night Live skit on the mound. It's on national TV. It's going to be on all the networks. And then you look at the, the umpires, who you know, professional uh, 
uh, umpires association here too. These guys are trying to do their job. It just makes them look ridiculous. And they're having a hard time just doing their job in general uh, as it is, you know, as far as the, uh, you know, the strike box and everything else. But I got to just kind of cut through the chase here with you, Tab, and, and you being a longtime guy who's covered the game, the ins and outs of it, uh, on and off the field. Is this something that MLB can recover from here? And, and, and how much does it turn off? Because it kind of turns me off as a fan, you know? It's, it's just yeah. a, an incredible huge distraction. All the distractions this year around some great moments of the game, and I know we're going to get into it today with Wanda Franco, and we've been talking about Tatis Jr., and, and just them playing the, you know, the Padres. And There's so many great baseball stories that they're still kind of good. But, man, you know, we have to lead in with this whole thing, and um, I just want to get to cut through it with you and just say, look, this just is just bad, and how does MLB turn this around? They don't, and the reason that they don't, and the reason that I'm as measured in my reaction to this as I am is because Rob Manfred hates baseball. <laughs> and we should not expect more out of a commissioner's office when the commissioner himself has spent the majority of his tenure telling us what's wrong with the game. This, We've talked about this throughout the show. This is a commissioner who initiated the wine festival about the pace of play. This is a commissioner who would rather have us investing time and energy talking about spin rate and whether or not a guy has been gay on his belt or has Vagisil under his ear, or whatever it is that they're using, he would rather have us talking about what's wrong with the game than what's right. Think about this right now. Okay, you, you brought up Wander Franco, and we're going to go in on that because this week the good is all in on Wander Franco. But he makes his Major League debut last night, puts on a show, and 80% of the conversation about baseball, if you watch ESPN, they're not... Wander Franco gets a mention, but they're talking about Max Scherzer dropping his pants and Sergio Romo dropping his pants. Not Steve Lyons style either. This is a, how you doing? We're going in the back room. We need to check to see what you got in your pants here. We're, we're, we are in the midst of players committing to be part of the home run derby. We are in the midst of all-star game voting. We have pennant races in almost every division that are hot. You've got big market teams that are doing big things. You've got small market teams that are making noise like Tampa. And what is the conversation about? What's wrong with the game? I mean, realistically, let's just be real here. Rob Manfred is like an abusive parent that's just, you get an A- minus on a test. Well, why didn't you get the three questions to make it an A? That's what it is. This is a, this is a commissioner's office that has spent way more time worrying about what's wrong and creating crises than celebrating what's good about the game. And look, I'm not here to put Bud Selig and his tenure as the commissioner up on a pedestal. I'm not putting him on Mount Rushmore. Um, he's in the Hall of Fame. Some people have taken lengths in columns and articles to complain about that. Say what you will about him propping up the steroid era, but he was smart enough to know that when the eyeballs of the entire nation were back on baseball, uh, back in 1998 when McGuire and Sosa went off, which I might add was in the coming on the heels of 
and started during the end of Michael Jordan's run with the Bulls. Let's not forget the context there. Michael Jordan was winning his sixth championship with a dynasty and riding off into the sunset. And the eyeballs of the nation two days after the parade were solely focused on McGuire and Sosa. He promoted the game. Ticket prices went up. TV deals went up. The salaries of players went up astronomically while Bud Selig was the commissioner. Why? Because he promoted the game. And now we have a commissioner who, let's let's also not sugarcoat this reality, he's pissing off the Players Association like no commissioner really ever has, and they've got to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement Absolutely, yeah. in five months. So... Like we've we've talked about some of the other junk, the fact that the Universal DH should have been in this year, but the commissioner's office on behalf of the owners wanted to have the expanded playoffs as a trade-off. The players aren't happy about that. We've got players like Jack Flaherty, who would have probably been a you know a top three finalist, you know, if Jacob deGrom didn't exist, maybe the front runner for the National League Sang Award going down while swinging a bat. Because we don't have a universal DH because the owners, via the commissioner's office, were fighting for a cash grab. The players aren't happy. And the worst thing that could happen to any professional sport right now, but especially baseball, is a work stoppage. And Jeff Passan wrote a good column this morning about how the game feels like they're self-aware that that's a problem and that a work stoppage is increasingly unlikely because the players and the owners both know how much is at stake right now. But the commissioner's office just keeps piling on stuff that the players are going to take issue with when they get to the negotiating table in November and December. And it's going to be a long road for Rob Manfred to unwind this ball of hate that he's fostered for the last four years with the players. And now you've got guys that are getting hurt, guys that are outspoken. You've got Tyler Glass now blasting it. Coming in midstream, Garrett Cole, a little whining, non-answering, but not happy. You've got batters. We our whole show last week, so many different angles of this. No player is happy about the way that this is being done. And I don't think any front office is happy about the way that this is being done. But this is what the commissioner's office has decided to invest its time and energy and resources in. And again... Why am I not shouting from the mountaintops that this is garbage and we need to change things? Because you shouldn't expect anything more from Rob Manfred. He hates baseball. And for those of us who don't know, what is Rob Manfred's background? How did he get this gig? I mean, he's Rob Manfred, okay? So this is a guy who has matriculated his way up to the position of commissioner. He took over for Bud Selig before the 2015 season. And at that point, I think most people would agree that baseball was in a a pretty good place. Uh, He actually got an extension after the 2018 season. So he's going to be the commissioner per the terms of his current contract until after the 2024 season. Um. And when you look at some of the things that they're getting excited about, like you go to MLB.com and you look at his bio and 
it's talking about all the good things that he's Does done it off say the. He hates baseball. <laughs> it should. Rest in peace, the commissioner's office being pro baseball. Um, it, but 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 it's talking about things like him selling seventy five percent of Bam Tech, the technology platform that was owned by Major League Baseball, to Walt Disney. It talks about the partnership that they have with USA Baseball and USA Softball. I mean, the play ball program is great, but I mean, it talks about him, you know, prioritizing international growth and the fact that he was a big part of MLB going to Cuba in 2016. That That's great. But I mean, this is a guy who came in as specifically the guy who dealt with labor relations. He was the chief operating officer before he became the commissioner uh, starting in 2013. But between 98, when Sosa and McGuire did their thing, in 2013, Manfred was the executive vice president overseeing labor relations, economics, and league affairs. He, he came in as basically the legal liaison between MLB and the Players Association trying to keep the peace. And since he took the top job, he's done nothing but spit on everything that he effectively was doing in his previous job. He he was there to sustain labor peace, and now he's done nothing but rip that up. And Tab, on the business side of things, you know, you know, listen to you, you know, just kind of summarize, you know, where he comes from and 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 you know what his part was in baseball before coming becoming commissioner. Is there is there you know, you can talk about like um, I hate to, you know, I guess you have to. You got to go to other sports that you're familiar with in terms of how um, front offices are run. Um, you know, league. You know, the NFL ownership is 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 just an incredible tight entity, and then you have uh, you know NHL, the GMs, and all the owners and stuff like that. So what I'm trying to get at here is because I'm, you, you, I'm just trying to make sense of this. Why all the disruption? Why does it seem to be so against the just the general uh, beauty of the game of baseball? This, you know, because I think in, in, in a lot of terms, as as hard as it is to uh, become a baseball player and to pitch and to hit and all that other stuff, but there is a simplicity to baseball. It's about hitting, pitching, running, scoring, defending, and all that other stuff. So you t- you see all this stuff that's going on, and especially with the CBA negotiation in the backdrop there coming up, you know, in, in five months, like you were talking about too. Is there any? Is there any? Other entities you think behind him that might be pushing him to kind of to cause this disruption? Is this a, an egotistical thing because of his his power, his stature? Do you think he do you think he acts alone, Tap, in these decisions? No, I don't think he acts alone. But at the same time, I mean, look at, at the end of the day, his name is on the sign outside of the door of the commissioner's office, and I just I get the sense that I mean, look, this is a guy that did his undergrad at Cornell, graduated from Harvard Law. Uh, He was a a lawyer who dealt in labor relations until he joined Major League Baseball's office. And I think this, this is the rub for baseball and what he's trying to do. I think he's trying to foster change. But he doesn't know how to control change. And he doesn't understand what's going on inside the game. I think he's living in right. a he's living that, in a glass box, and, and he doesn't changed, know what the players are doing. And do you think that change though is is it's I, look? We always talk about this. It always ends up being about money. This is you know we talk about uh, speeding the game up, everything else, uh, how it looks on TV, 
um, you know, every all the changes they've made almost to speed the game up. So I guess uh, I guess the follow up question to that is: Is this uh, you know these decisions being made for monetary reasons, as far as network and broadcasting and TV and ticket sales and all that other stuff? No, it's a gong show. If he wanted more money from the TV networks, he wouldn't have cut two innings off of doubleheaders. He would have left them at nine. But that, but that's where again that the idea that this is a headless chicken running the ship comes into play. The reason that you went to seven inning doubleheaders last year during the pandemic shortened season and this year was why to protect pitchers' arms. But we're not going to give him the universal DH because. We've got other things that we care about more. And now we're going to change the rules that the pitchers abide by in the middle of the season. It contradicts itself. The, the fact that he's changing how pitchers can play the game in the middle of a season and he didn't allow the universal DH because he wanted to have the expanded playoffs as a quid pro quo is contradictory to him ultimately soiling, if you will, for the polite way of putting it, soiling the purity of the game by going to seven inning double headers and then having the runner starting on second base and in extra innings like little league. I mean, literally it's like watching a little league game right now. They're checking guys. It's like, you know, if you're playing in a house league and you're 10 years old, the umpire comes over and checks that all the bats are legal and everybody has to tap themselves on the junk to make sure that they got a cup on. That's what we're doing right now at the major league level. And, but again, it contradicts itself. You go to seven-inning doubleheaders because you're worried about the health of pitchers, but you won't let them have the universal DH, even though it's inevitable. That will be part of the next collective bargaining agreement. Everyone agrees that it should be there. Even if Shohei Otani is changing the way that we view it, and other pitchers in the past, Madison Bumgarner, Zach Granke, if you want to go back, Carlos Zambrano have hit the ball well, and it's nothing is more entertaining than a pitcher going yard. Ask Bartolo Colon and both of his families. <laughs> but... You will have a universal DH starting next year. I think it's very safe to say that. But we don't have it this year. Why? Because we needed to have a cash grab attached to it. And we're trying to protect pitchers from throwing too many innings by going to seven inning doubleheaders. But now we want them to throw innings with completely different rules starting in the middle of June. It contradicts itself. And that's where the frustration lies is Rob Manfred has done so much to take attention away from what's going on in the field and what's good in the game. Like, forget the fact that guys are throwing spider tack. Let's talk about the fact that Fernando Tatis is barely 22, whatever, 23 years old, and he's hitting bombs. Let's talk about the fact that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is putting up triple crown caliber numbers, and he's the son of a Hall of Famer, and he hasn't played a home game in two years because they can't go back to Toronto. Like there, there are so many great things to talk about in the game right now, and we're going to dig in on Wander Franco in a minute. But there's so much that we should be talking about and celebrating. And unfortunately, here we are on Line Drive Radio spending the first, whatever, 10 minutes of our conversation talking about what's bad about the game and how embarrassing the look was last night when there's so many other things that we should be talking about. And you know what? It's, we don't live in a society where all press is good press anymore. And the fact that ESPN's talking about it and local and national news stories are talking about it, it's not good. If you're a laughing stock, it's not good press. And last night, Major League Baseball was a laughing stock because a future Hall of Famer, Max Scherzer, had to drop his pants three times to make sure that he wasn't using a foreign substance. 
It's ridiculous. And yeah. frankly, it's disrespectful to the players, and it's not safe for the players. And you're worried, again, you're worried about time, pace of play, so you're going to put a pitch clock out there. But then you're going to have guys getting checked for a goop between innings, taking 90 seconds away from starting the next inning. When TV networks want to get as many commercials as they can in, you're cutting a commercial out because every TV network's going to watch the guy getting patted down so he can go through security and board his flight. It's ridiculous. It is. And get back to the Little League, uh, you know, uh, comparison there, too. You got Girardi, you know, a guy I like and love, obviously, former Yankee, too. You know, he gets ejected because, you know, he's, he's like, come on, let's start a fight. I mean, that that, that whole part of it, too. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at last night's nonsense almost leading to a, you know, a bench clear, too. Girardi's out there yeah. about ready. You know, he's, he's doing the machismo stuff. Yeah, it, 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 it opens I mean, the door for more gamesmanship that takes attention away from the field. And it slows the game down. And, again, you've got managers that now have the ability to slow the game down. They can't change pitchers. They can't have a lefty specialist come out there. But they can stop it for what would effectively take as long as a pitcher coming in to warm up to have a pitcher get checked for goop. And now you've got umpires that have carte blanche to do whatever the hell they want. You've got managers slowing the game down, getting guys frisked. It's just what they're doing is contradictory to what they've done, and they continue to just two steps forward, five steps back. And the game is in too good of hands right now with a young generation of players on the field for us to be worrying about stupid crap like this. So, you know, it's unfortunate that we're going to spend as much time on it as we have because there's so many other great things for us to dive into today. But here we are talking about guys getting frisked. And you know what? Nobody's been suspended for substances yet. Not yet. Guys have gotten hurt because they weren't using it. Guys like Garrett Cole have seen their spin rate dip because they're trying to adjust. But, I mean, you, the second they said they were going to suspend people, the league-wide batting average jumped almost 20 points. So we're seeing more offense. But guess what? Guys are still swinging for the fence. Guys are still taking walks. Nobody's stealing bases. Nobody's putting the ball in play. Nobody's hitting the ball the other way against a shift. But you know what? We're worried about the fact that Guys' spin rates are up 10 12% across the board because they're able to throw a little something in the glove and, and get away with what they want to. You know what's next? Pitcher's going to go up and hit because we don't have a universal DH with a batter's bat, and he's going to have pine tar in his hands from using the bat. And he's going to get 10 games for having pine tar that he can't get off his hands between innings. You know, I joked here on the first couple of shows. I would, li- I, would li- I would literally send my pitcher up to bat with two Ziploc bags on his hands and have him not even take the thing off his shoulder. But it wouldn't actually – I wouldn't have it made contact with his shoulder because if he got the pine tar in his jersey, he'd either have to go change his clothes or get suspended for 10 games. Oh, and now we're if going he goes back. Up, go ahead. If Kershaw goes up there with Justin Turner's bat and that thing's got enough pine tar to stall out a full-size automobile, you know, what, what's he going to do if he gets it on his shirt? You're gonna have a costume change? It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, now we're now we're back to Enrico Palazzo frisking, frisking the players at the plate. Well, you know Reggie Jackson uh, <laughs> failed in his quest to end the uh, patriarchy, but I think he uh, he's still in the hall. We still love him, but we do. Mr. October didn't get the job done that time. No, not at all. All right. Let's switch into some more headlines here. And before we do, a quick rundown of what's going on. The AL East, uh, the Bo Sox are still leading the Razor behind their game and a half. 
In the AL Central, the Shy Sox. Tab Shy Sox are uh, still a two and a half up on the Cleveland Indians. AL West, Astros in first place. A game ahead of the Oakland Athletics. And uh, swinging over to National League East. The East, with the aforementioned Mr. Girardi there and his Phillies. Joined by the Braves and the Nationals. All four games back of the amazing Mets, baby. In the NL East, out in the Central. My Brewers still in first place. Four games up on the Reds and four and a half up on the Cards. Where are the, the Cubbies there, man? What's going on? And out in the LL West, <laughs> <laughs> the Giants still in first. Oh. With the Dodgers, who have now flipped over, flipped in front of the Padres. Three, three, three and a half, uh, three, three games back of the Giants and then the Padres four and a half back there. Uh, those guys playing each other right now in a little bit of a series. Uh, some great stuff there. Um, Got to love what's going on in San Diego with the fans uh, and this rivalry. Great stuff. Uh, and some other stuff that you want to talk about now is what we want to get into Shohei Otani, obviously getting into the uh, home run derby. Uh, you want to talk a little more about Javier Baez there uh, getting benched. And Byron Buxton there comes off the uh, injured uh, reserve list. And uh, we'll get an update on the All-Star Game voting and as well. And um, some advancements there in the College World Series. Some good games this weekend, Tad, that we talked about last week uh, in last week's show. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, like, we're, we're running down the standings. National League East, look, it, it's a gong show. The best run differential in the division is the last place Marlins. Figure that one out. And then you go to the Central in the National League, and you're fighting Milwaukee Brewers, your adopted favorites. Uh, do the Arizona Diamondbacks a solid, and Arizona gets off the schneid after three weeks without a W. And uh, and then, you know, the Dodgers are chasing the Giants. They look like they got the world beat, and then they drop a couple in a row. I mean, it, I'm not sure if it's parody or parody uh, at this point. San Diego loses like a dozen in a row, and now they've rattled off six straight. So they're right back in the mix. You know, it's – and then you, you flip over to the American League. Tampa loses seven in a row, but they bring up Wander Franco, so they've got the best thing since sliced bread in the lineup. The White Sox are, lose to the Pirates yesterday. They've dropped five in a row, but they've still got a two-game lead. I mean, every team in that division, Cleveland's got a plus-one run differential. The White Sox are plus 85, and they've got a two-game lead. And then, you know, out, out west, Houston, nine in a row. They've got the best run differential in the league. They're plus 122 after 45 games. Figure that one out. And uh, and the fight in Shohei's are now nine games back. So you've got a lot of just figure out what the hell's going on. The Yankees are, you know, still a negative run differential, and yet they're a game and a half in front of Toronto, who's plus 44. If it made sense, it wouldn't make sense. So the standings are an absolute mess right now. Um, but, you know, let's go in and, and, and talk about a couple of these headlines because there's some good stuff going on. Uh, let's start with the All-Star Game voting updates because I think that there's some intriguing stuff going on there. Vladdy Jr. is leading the American League at first base. He should be. He's got almost, I think he's at 50% of the vote. Um, he should be the starter. There's no question to me. Interesting that Yuli Gurriel in Houston is hanging around there in the voting. He's having a really good season. Jose Abreu, the reigning MVP, fighting to get into the second. Um, you know, Abreu should probably be there. Matt Olson of Oakland should probably be there. He's got under 5% of the vote, but uh, but it should be Vladdy. He's on top. Nationally at first base, we talked about this when we gave our ballot breakdown a couple weeks ago. There's really nobody who's 
really jumped to the front of the heap. Right now, Max Muncy of the Dodgers is in first. Hmm. Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo chasing him uh, by you know thousands of votes, but not a huge margin. So we'll see how that ends up. Second base, Marcus Simeon, my pick to click, uh, 35% of the vote, just ahead of Jose Altuve. And there's a big gap before DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees. Uh, second base, my pick to click, Adam Frazier, second, just behind Ozzy Albies of the Braves. Uh, interestingly, Gavin Lux of the Dodgers is third, right on Adam Frazier's heels. Uh, rookie having a really good season, but there are other guys who I think, obviously, we made a case for. San Diego's Jake Cronenworth is in the mix there, but... Albies and Frazier kind of pushing it right now. If you want to have your team have more guys in, vote for Adam Frazier so that the Pirates get that box checked. Uh, third base in the American League, my pick to click was Rafael Devers of the Red Sox. He's got a commanding lead in the American League ahead of Alex Bregman and Yon Mancata. Uh, but Jose Ramirez somehow is in fourth, and he might be higher than fourth in the MVP voting if he did it today in the American League. So that's a little surprising. National League at third, Chris Bryant has almost 30% of the vote ahead of Nolan Arenado and Justin Turner. That's kind of what we said it should be. Bryant's back to MVP level. Nolan Arenado should be there. He probably will. Uh, but that voting's holding up. Shortstop in the American League, Xander Bogarts. Again, my pick to click at 30% ahead of Bo Bichette and Carlos Correa. Seems like voting there is kind of hanging where it should be. Fernando Tatis Jr. at 36%. My guy Javier Baez at 15 And then you've got... Corey Seager, Brandon Crawford, Trey Turner kind of hanging around behind them, but looks like it's Tatis's to lose. In the American League outfield, Mike Trout obviously not going to play. He's got 14% of the vote, which is lower than I anticipated, even with the injury. Mm -hmm. Uh, The three that would start with Mike Trout being out based on votes, Aaron Judge, Byron Buxton, and Adolis Garcia, former St. Louis Cardinal prospect, now with the Texas Rangers, who I mentioned on the show. Cedric Mullins is down in ninth with 4% of the vote. Get out, vote for Cedric Mullins. He should be there. Uh, other guys who are kind of in the mix to climb, Tascar Hernandez of the Blue Jays, Randall Gritchick of the Blue Jays, Michael Brantley of the Astros, and Alex Verdugo of the Red Sox. Uh, my picks to click were Mullins, uh, Garcia, and I think Judge probably should be there as your obligatory Yankee bat. Um, but... Interesting that Mike Trout only has 14% of the vote, but he's still voting the leading the American League vote recipients. In the National League, Acuna, Castellanos, and Winker, I think they were three of my picks to click. They lead the voting. Mookie Betts is in fourth. Chris Taylor of the Dodgers is in fifth, ahead of Juan Soto of the Nationals. And then uh, just because Chicago likes to vote early and often, Jock Peterson is actually ahead of Bryce Harper. So go figure that one out. Behind the dish, the guy that I said you should vote for, Salvador Perez of the Royals, has 42% of the vote. Commanding lead out of Yasmani Grandal and Martin Maldonado of the Astros. Buster Posey, who I told you to vote for, 30% in the National League ahead of Yadier Molina, Wilson Contreras. Uh, and then at the DH, the guy that I told you I wanted to see hit and I wanted to see pitch, Shohei Otani, 35% of the vote leading the way ahead of J.D. Martinez, Jordan Alvarez, limping quietly in the fourth in the DH voting, your friend and mine, your mean Mercedes, uh, (laughs) who's hitting my sixth grade body weight now uh, (laughs) since the middle of May. Uh, The slide has been rough for him, and the injuries are piling up for the White Sox right now. So uh, those are your leading vote-getters for the All-Star game. We finished with Shohei Otani being the DH leader because, as you said, he is committed to take part in the home run derby, which I love. I'm here for it. 
Looks like Pete Alonso committed to defend his title from 2019 as well earlier today. But look, I want Shohei Otani to put on a show in the home run derby. I want him voted in as the starting DH, and I want him to start on the mound. I want this to be the Shohei Festival. Give us every single bit of it because, again, what should we be talking about? Shohei Otani is doing something that no one has done since Babe Ruth. He's hitting the ball a mile, and he's throwing the ball harder than anybody. And it's we should be celebrating Shohei Otani. And the All-Star Game gives us the ability to do that. So, people, vote for Shohei to be the starting DH, and let's have him start on the mound in the game because I don't think that they'd be able to start him at DH and then bring him out of the bullpen unless we're going to change those rules and only play four innings of a doubleheader for the All-Star Game, too. So uh, get Shohei out there. I love that he's going to be in the home run derby. It's awesome. But, yeah, Shohei, uh, definitely worth the price of admission, even if his team is struggling to hold up its end of the bargain on the field. Yeah, and I, um, I'm, I'm putting in a petition for no umpires on the All-Star game this year. I was wondering if, that, if you thought that might fly. Uh, it would be interesting to see if they went with an automated strike zone. I think that the umpires should be teched for foreign substances by the players. Before they enter the building, though. Exactly. We don't. With, we with do not need to outside. see Country Security Joe dogs. West drop. Country Joe West should not drop his pants. <laughs> but get the lasso back out and get the thing back up. Uh, have them all out there in suspenders for the night, just in case. Uh, no, I, I. You know, let's have some. The All Star Game should be a celebration. We should be talking about the voting. We should be talking about guys committing to the Home Run Derby. Pete Alonso going to defend his title. I think if you get Vladdy out there and you got Otani. You got guys that are going to hit bombs. There should be hype around it and not talking about goop. So, good I'm stuff psyched, there. I, I think it's going to be a great All Star game. I think it's great. Going to be a great couple yeah. of days. And and uh, I'm with you, man, on the Derby, and I'm I'm totally with you on the Otani thing too. Um, I mean, that's just a guy. You know, week in when it got week in week out. Um, he's in he's in the headlines, man. You know, once he gets he gets in, you know, he's playing, and um, yeah. you, you get something special from him. So, you know, I, I'm agree with you, man. Just you know, this is what it's all about. Showcase the best. All this nonsense that's going on in and around the game, though, uh, hopefully we can, um, you know, like I said, even with the also game being moved, all this other stuff. You, know, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, Tab, at the end of the season here, hopefully, we, you know, we're going to have a great season that's going to end up as far as what's going on in the game. But, man, we're all, we're all going to look back and look at a lot of the chaos here. But um, let's, yep. let's, I don't, let's not uh, stay on that road. Let's keep going on here. Yeah. So let, let's we we talked about him in the voting too. Byron Buxton right now he's sitting in a position that theoretically he could be voted into the All Star game. No question that when he's healthy, he's one of the more dynamic, talented players in the American League. Unfortunately, injuries have cursed his career. Uh, he was the number one overall prospect in baseball for a couple years, much like the young man in Tampa that we're going to talk about at some length today, but. He keeps getting hurt. He comes off the IL, gets hit on the hand, breaks the hand, back on the injured list. I mean, he's just cursed, and it's kind of – he embodies everything that's gone wrong for Minnesota this year. They just can't get out of their own way. And it just – it confounds you that they were so close, and they've got the White Sox breathing down their neck all off season, and they don't do anything to change the mix. They let a couple guys like Trevor May walk. They don't fix their bullpen. Uh, and now the injuries are killing them, and they might be sellers before the deadline when it's all said and done. So tough spot for Byron Buxton, another guy who's you know, in the all-star mix who probably should be there, who's one of the more exciting players in baseball. 
but not hurt, but still uh, leaving a game prematurely. Javier Baez, my guy Javi, El Mago. Uh, forgot how many outs there were on Monday. Anthony Rizzo flew out. He just kept going and uh, got himself doubled off first base, came into the dugout, had a brief kumbaya with manager David Ross, and kind of shrugged his shoulders a bit, went down the tunnel, and he was out. And, uh, you know, this is a this is a thing where people had questions about, you know, when David Ross, who played with a lot of these guys when they won the World Series in 16, how would he be able to discipline guys who called him Grandpa Rossi and hung out with him and partied with him when he was a player? How would he be able to handle the discipline side of things? And Baez screwed up. He's in a contract year. He's one of the most exciting guys on the Cubs roster, maybe the most exciting guy on the Cubs roster. And Rossi sat him down. And the next night, he was back in the lineup batting third. And he understood why he got the bench and took it like a champ and moved on. So it was interesting with the Cubs being in a playoff race with a game that they've got to win Um that Ross would go that far and pull a guy who's hitting in the middle of his lineup and replace him with a rookie who's got less than a dozen games of major league experience under his belt uh, early in a game, but he did. And learning experience, water under the bridge, here we go moving forward. But it was interesting to see how how that played out with, again, the, the narrative around Ross when he took the job being how would he discipline the guys if if and when he had to. He needed to. He did. And, it, you know, they lost the game. But will they win the war? We'll see. They're still tied with your uh, adopted Milwaukee Brewers for first place. And Baez is still putting up numbers that are worthy of a nod to get a free trip to Denver in mid-July. So we'll see how it ultimately plays out. I don't think Baez will forget how many outs there are again for a while. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was an interesting look to see, you know, it got your – middle of the lineup shortstop getting the showers early because he, uh, he made a boo-boo on the bases. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, managers here in baseball, as far as discipline, disciplining guys, you know, rookies, uh, one thing, but you know, you bring up here, a guy like Baez, Baez here and, and stars and everything else. And, you know, I've, I'm always just blown away about the money here in baseball too. And you wonder how, um, you know, those decisions are made and, and what options uh, a general manager, I mean, a manager has here uh, on a squad. And, you know, it's when something like this comes up, Tab, I guess for me, it, it, it reminds us, it, you know, it gets back to the simplicity of baseball like I was talking about earlier. That here's a guy, you know, uh, you know, with a team, how they're playing, one of his top guys, one of his dependable guys, and maybe, you know, outside of the field, you look at that and goes, hey, man, that, that's a tough decision to make. But, you know... You asked the question, is, is Ross right to do it? I think, you know, absolutely. And I think, you know, in, in, in the environment of these, you know, highly skilled, highly, highly paid, uh, you know, professional athletes in, in, in baseball, too. Uh, I, do you, I guess my question to you is, is uh, you know, it takes a little guts from some of these guys. You know, depending on, on where your manager's at in terms of his history, his experience, whether he's won a championship or not, um, how long he's been, you know, uh, coaching a team or a squad and, uh, and making decisions like this. Sometimes you'd be like, hey, he, you know, surprised he did this, surprised he's got the guts to do it. So I guess my general question to you is, is, is across the board, uh, GM, um, listen, I keep saying general managers. I'm stuck on that. I'm sorry. Uh, but managers making these types of decisions, 
um, and having the guts or the confidence to um, you know, pull a star player or shift a star player. And what options does he have to do outside of taking him out of the lineup, adjusting him, so on and so forth? Well, it, 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 it is interesting. And I think that you, you mentioning general managers is appropriate because there are times when a general manager will not let a manager take a guy out of the lineup or move him down in the lineup. Why? Because he's showcasing a guy. Or he's given a guy a lot of money already and feels pressure as much as the player does to justify the contract that he got. Um, you know, it, it is, it is, it's interesting because you see managers that are, you know, referred to as players, managers, players, coaches, because they're friendly with them. We've talked about Aaron Boone on this show. Obviously his uh, savages in the box rant won a lot of fans. Um, he's gone to bat for his players time and time again, but some Yankees fans have been critical of, uh, the lack of accountability for guys screwing up at times with Boone. Um, you know, I we deal with this with my kids' 11U travel team. You know, we don't have an incredibly deep roster, and guys will make an error, and we as coaches have to talk about, do we do we pull the kid? Or do we push him and, to left and, field and, and put somebody parents, else to third base? Are their parents in the stands, and how are they going to Yeah. Yeah, but it's no, but in all seriousness, like there, there's a lot of dynamics that go into play here. Like who's behind him? And I think, you know, what's telling about how Ross handled the business was it was early in the game. He's got a rookie with, like I said, very minimal major league experience, you know, would be the guy that steps in for bias, but he handled it and did what he needed to do. And I think that that shows you a lot about Ross. It also shows a lot about the comfort level he has in the position and the relationship that he has with guys like Baez, that they can have that conversation and Baez doesn't lose his mind. We don't have a, the two of them having to be separated in the dugout or bats going flying or you know the bucket of gum getting launched or seeds going flying. They had a conversation Baez went to the showers and the rookie goes in. Um, so it, it shows a lot about the emotional awareness of David Ross and the relationship that he has with his roster. I was impressed that he had the confidence to do it and the way that he'd do it was received at least to the outside world as well as it was by Baez. Uh, and then Baez was right back in the three spot the next night. It was, you made a mistake, here are the consequences. Tomorrow you're right back being one of the more important guys that we have wearing the pinstripes on the north side. So that's what you need to see, I think. Um, and there are other teams, I think, that would benefit from that type of accountability. But whether or not the manager has the uh, the intestinal fortitude or confidence to pull the trigger on that is different in every situation. Absolutely. So uh, it is interesting. But I, I think Rossi did the right thing, and he did it well. Uh, and everybody involved handled it pretty well, except for the kid that came in and made an error that turned into a three-run homer in the bottom half of that inning. But that's baseball. That happens. Uh, you move on. And they're still tied for first, so it isn't like you just gave away a division championship by pulling a guy. It's the middle of June. You made a statement to your team, and everybody understood what was going on, and we go forward. So now we got to go play games and know the situation, know any how to, but look, this is this is what guys like Baez and Tatis and Bichette and these young guys do. Mm-hmm. Is 
they take chances. What makes them exciting, what makes them sexy players that the kids want to watch is the fact that they play with a reckless abandon. And they play like Little Leaguers. And Baez was going hell-bent for election to go first to third because he needed to score a run to help the offense. He knew he wasn't going to get back, so he phoned it in. And that didn't work for his coach. He wanted to see more effort. Why? Because you're a superstar who's chasing a big-money contract, and there's three rookies sitting on the bench watching how the superstars that have a ring conduct business. And for as much as a guy like Javier Baez could be a role model for my 10-year-old son, he's also a role model for the 22-year-old rookie that's sitting behind him on the bench. Mm -hmm. And if you see that once you get to a place in Major League Baseball, Cadillacing stuff, half-assing stuff is acceptable, then the expectation is that everybody can do that at some point in their career. And that's not how the game should be played. So tip of the cap to David Ross for doing the right thing. Tip of the cap for Javi, to Javier Baez for owning it, taking his uh, quick trip to the shower as well as he did, and then coming back the next night and, and batting third and doing his job again. So uh, all in all, unfortunate situation that I think lots of coaches at every level and lots of players at every level can learn from. And that's the other beautiful thing about baseball is you're right. It's a simple game played a very simple way and kids can learn from other kids as much as they can learn from grownups and the grownups playing the game with the same exuberance, but also the same commitment to the game being played the right way uh, is something that should be universal and Baez, you know, got a little taste of humble pie. So overall, A's across the board, except for the whole nut running back. Oh, good stuff. I agree with you there, Tab, as well, too. Good stuff. All right. Well, me and Tab don't want to get benched, so that means we got to take a break here. You are listening to Line Drive Radio on the Revolver Podcast Network, and we'll be back after this quick sponsor break. so much for listening, tuning in, hanging out with me and Tab. It's a beautiful day here on Long Island. A little rainy out in Chicago from what Tab is telling me. But it's all good. At Line Drive Radio. Follow us everywhere. All your favorite social media networks. And then you'll find me and Tab's personal accounts. Give us the business if you need to. But right now on Line Drive Radio as we swing back into talking about America's pastimes, we're going to get into the good. And Tab, if you're in Tampa Bay right now, not only is your hockey team one win away from getting back to the Stanley Cup Finals, you've got this kid named Juan DeFranco in your lineup now. And, man, did he make a big splash yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, each week we have the good, and then we have our WTF segment and the good. I don't think there's anything else that we should be talking about today uh, other than Juan DeFranco. Uh, the first player ready to feel old, ready to groom the grays. Um, first player born in 2001 uh, to make his major league debut. Uh, just absolutely remarkable. The kid's jacked physically. He's, he's everything that you'd ever want. Uh, superstar prospect. He's been the number one overall prospect in baseball for a couple years. Uh, in two-plus minor league seasons uh, over 
829 minor league at bats, uh, 214 total minor league games, 145 runs batted in, and 934 OPS. Uh, walked 95 times, struck out only 75 times. So this is a kid who has every offensive tool you'd ever want to see. Usually a shortstop, made the start in his debut at third base, and second at bat comes up and goes out and reaches out and just jacks the first home run of his career. Place went nuts. Uh, Everybody was excited for the kid. And then his next at bat, he shoots a ball off the wall in left field, hits it hard enough that it probably would have been a single for a lot of people. But he hit the Jets and showed you that he's got some speed in there too and turned it into a double. I mean, look, Tampa had a young kid, Willie Adamas, who started for them in the World Series last year, who a lot of people really like. They traded him to Milwaukee to make room for Ad- for Franco. He's been a great spark plug for your adopted Milwaukee Brewers since he got there. But this kid is legit, and you've got the first place chasing uh, Tampa Bay Rays coming off of a World Series appearance um, in a little bit of a skid right now. They've lost seven in a row, including his debut last night. But he comes up as a 20-year-old, and he a case could be made, even with Austin Meadows being a legit all-star candidate, that he's the best offensive player on in that lineup right now as a 20-year-old. Um, and so it is really exciting times for people down in Tampa. Go buy a jersey. Um, but he's uh, he's one of those guys, like we've, we've talked about with the way that uh, you know Ronald Acuna Jr. came up and look, made it look easy. Fernando Tatis Jr. came up and made it look easy. Juan Soto came up and made it look easy. This is the next kid to come up, and it looks like make it look easy. Not everything's going to be easy. He'll He'll slump at some point. But he's spectacular. He is absolutely going to be a superstar. And you, sh- everyone should be hopping on MLB.com, going on YouTube, watching the highlights of the kid from last night because he is the complete five-tool package. Uh, and, again, only 20 years old. And so the future is so incredibly bright for this kid. And if you're, you know, if you're sitting in Toronto or, I guess, Buffalo at this point because I can't go home to Canada yet, or if you're a Yankee fan, you got to be a little concerned that, you know, Tampa's lost seven straight. There's still four games up on the Yankees in the standings. And they just added, again, probably the best offensive player to their roster. Yeah, forget about it. Don't worry. The Bronx Bomber's going to be fine, baby. Don't you worry no nothing well, about this. Well, Franco bats right-handed, so he'd fit in perfectly <laughs> with the Yankees. Because they, they don't know a left-handed bet if they had to. All right, all right, all right. So, look, I want to no, get I mean, around to something here. We should be excited about Wander Franco. We Absolutely. should be jumping off the rooftops. If you're smart, you went out and bought his baseball cards two years ago because guess what? The market was hot last night, and it's going to get hotter. Um, he's he's an exciting kid. He's got every tool that you'd ever want, and he's a baby. And, you know, we, we joke about it, but God help us when he finishes puberty because it's going to be something to watch down there in Tampa, and he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be a face of the league soon all so, right, so exciting look, times exciting to see the number one overall prospect get the call all right so let me be the new york yankee fan here all right it's one game so everybody calm down all right one game but it's a great entrance into the league no doubt about it what i want to ask about is is his uh minor league stuff here two plus season that you brought up um i mean some of these stats are just amazing uh, i mean uh, only striking out 75 times almost you know it's 829 at bats there so i want to ask you number one um 
how you look at his minor league record there, uh, obviously the 145 RBIs is unbelievable too. Um, and now he, he gets in there last night. I don't know, number one, is that just a, a knock on uh, Boston Red Sox pitching last night? But, you know, when, when a kid comes up like this, uh, and, and as I, I want you to also explain to me here too, uh, you know, service time, something I'm getting used to that you, um, you know, we've talked about here on the show too as well. Um, but, okay, two things here. He's, he's got another game of Boston here. I mean, Tampa, let's start with the service time. Is he he's going to stay in this lineup now? I would assume so. Again, because he's the arguably the best batter in their lineup, you but would think that he's a sticks. managerial decision or a GM decision, which I keep going back to. Um, what's what as far as service time and everything else? Does Tampa, you know, they can what's what's the deal with that? You know, they can he can play the rest of the season at the position right now. Well, and this is what this is what the Rays have done better than everyone else in Major League Baseball. They're a small market team. They own the fact that they're a small market team. They acknowledge that they're. They have never really thrown big market money at anyone. So they've got a guy for a certain amount of time, and they have historically maximized what they get out of a player, service time be damned, and if he leaves via free agency or if they need to trade him, they do that. So they'll have Wander Franco for you know the next you know five or six years. He came up in June, so... I don't think you got to. This isn't like the Chris Bryant situation where he sat for three weeks just to milk another year out of him. Mm-hmm. But Tampa's never been a team that's going to sit a guy so that they can get an extra year. They play him when they have him because they want the best guys that they have in the organization to be playing every day. And last night he goes out, they stick him second in the lineup ahead of Austin Meadows and Randy Rosarena. And he does his thing two for four, two runs scored, three runs batted in. And I think he will – now the question becomes, you know, they've like got – questions for you. Go ahead, though. The young kid Walls playing shortstop. At some point, does he move to shortstop? If Walls, who's betting 222 right now, struggles, does he go to shortstop and do they do something different at third base? Or, uh, or does he stick at third, you know, long term here? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And the other thing, too, you bring up, you know, was it a knock on Red Sox pitching – they had, you know, pre-COVID, Eduardo Rodriguez was their ace before he got COVID and had a heart murmur last year. So his numbers haven't been exceptional this year. He's got a six and a quarter ERA on the road. But Eduardo Rodriguez is a guy that the first place, mind you, first place Red Sox count on to get big outs and eat big innings. He, He won 19 games a couple years ago. So this wasn't that he was coming in against some scrub or, mm-hmm. you know, was getting, a, you know, an easy day against, you know, Arizona or Pittsburgh. This is a, this is a series with first place on the line mm-hmm. between the Red Sox and Rays, and they, brought, they didn't bring the kid up for an easy one. They brought him up for a series that matters in the middle of the season, and he showed out last night. Now, their pitching didn't hold up their end of the bargain. They allowed nine runs. Uh, they went with the starter or the opener, rather, Kittredge, uh, and then Ryan Yarbrough got blowtorched for five. Uh, and then Mr. Fairbanks, who had been reliable at the end of the game, kind of fell apart down the stretch. But, um, you know, this is, this is a situation where Tampa's going to play the best guys that they have as long as they have them, and then they, when it comes to contract time, they figure it out when they get there. So not a service time issue. They're going to put them out there, and they're going to play them, and 
when they get to the point that either they have to figure out if they can afford them or not, they'll have that conversation. And if somebody's willing to pay a King's ransom for them, they probably go that route. Uh, but no, I, he'll, he'll stick as long as he hits. And if at last night, yes, one game sample size. But if last night was any indication, he's going to stick and he's going to be dynamic. Well, that's the thing, you know, looking ahead at what's going on. You know, another game here, a couple games here against Boston tonight and tomorrow. Uh, then the Angels, um, the Nationals, and then Toronto. And we go on to Cleveland and Toronto. You know, a couple teams, uh, you know, that he might be able to success with. But, that, I mean, that's ultimately going to be the thing here. Um, so, you know, what Tampa does here, and they, they, I guess, you know, you ride him out. And, and he's got a number one. He's got to see different pitching. You know, so getting back to the uh, the minor league thing here too, and he's now going to be approaching obviously full marks to him last night. Top pitcher does a great job. So obviously, anything with any player in his long term success, whether he sticks, stays, or he's going to be uh, all the hype that he is, is going to be you know um, how he does here in these upcoming series, how Tampa plays him, also how he plays on the field defensively and everything else, and being a part of that. So with the debut last night, his is stellar record there in minor league uh, my question to you there is you know um, the, the gap there between the, the difference between seeing minor league pitching and now MLB pitching the top guys and then also him having to do um, you know you, you, you talk about them playing for first place being in this race right now you know almost 70 games in here all the decisions uh, you know Tampa has to make here um, as far as uh, decision making in terms of uh, you know who's going to help this team uh, you know take first place and everything else can a young kid like this, at 20 years old, can he handle this? Um, there's a lot to go, which is why I'm joking around saying be the Yankee fan here and saying, hey, it's one game last night. Can't, can't we just kind of wait a little bit and see how he does in the next 15 games? Yeah. Everything's completely valid there. We should wait a couple weeks to, to make a, a judgment, but that's not what we do as sports fans. We, we, we rush to – I mean, he's, he's got a plaque being – carved for Cooperstown already after one game. Um, this is what we do. I mean, Fernando Tatis was inducted a year ago. So um, he, he, pitchers, the league is going to adjust to Wander Franco. And then the test is how does he adjust? Last year we watched Luis Robert come up with all of the hype in the world, a top 10 prospect in baseball. And just blow people away for a month. And then guess what? The league adjusted to him, and he struggled. And ultimately finished runner-up for the rookie of the year because the last six weeks of the season weren't too kind to Luis Robert. Kyle Lewis won the American League Rookie of the Year last year, and he struggled for a month and a half as well. Every young hitter that comes up, you look at guys like Alec Bohm with the Phillies, who we talked about, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, who was my... American League Rookie of the Year pick, really struggled to start the season. He's starting to find the power again now. Um, but young guys that come up have to adjust to what pitchers are throwing. The pitches are going to be better than they've seen before. There's going to be more guys throwing harder, throwing better breaking balls than they've ever seen in their life. So he's going to have to adjust to that. And then when the league adjusts to what he is and isn't doing well, He's going to have to make adjustments to that. But I think the, the pause that I have in allowing Yankees fans to say, let's wait a couple weeks, is the ball that he hit for a home run looked like it was two or three inches off the outside corner, and he pulled the hell out of it. Um, and everywhere that the kid's gone, he's hit the snot out of the ball. So 
Um, not putting snot on the ball that would have had him suspended for exactly, 10 games. Yes. Um, but, uh, but he's, his minor league record is what it is. It's stellar. And he's one of the more hyped prospects we've seen in a while. I mean, he's up there with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., with Fernando Tatis Jr., with Luis Robert, more hyped than Luis Robert. He was the number one prospect in baseball when Robert was called up a year ago. So he's only 20, which means he's going to learn. He's still going to physically grow, even though he looks like a grown-ass man already. Um, so we'll see. But again, we're talking about a team that's a game and a half behind Boston in a series with first place on the line in a pennant race for a team that was in the World Series last year who traded a player, Willie Adamas, who they love. The players in that clubhouse loved. Lots of guys were crying when he gave the the hugs goodbye. Uh, you know, Kevin Cash talked about how much energy he brought to the room and how much that team loved Willie Adamas. Milwaukee has loved having Willie Adamas. He's, a young, I think, 20, what, 24 years old. Um, really good young shortstop. They felt like they could move him and add a couple arms to the bullpen because this kid is that good. So now what we do after an amazing debut that everyone's head over heels in love with, we sit back and watch. How does the league adjust to him? How does he handle those adjustments? And how easy does he make it look? Because they're, you know, Vladdy had some time that he was fighting it. And now this year he looks like a triple crown candidate. So, we will see what Wander Franco is made of and what he truly brings to the table. But what we saw last night, uh, if it's any indication, is that he is truly special. Uh, and Tampa's got themselves an absolute winner to work with. Yeah, and ultimately... Until, until it's time to pay him, and then he's going to go somewhere else. Well, there you go. Well, that's down the road, too. Yeah. So, I mean, so many different variables coming up down the road that we have to wait to see if Mr. Franco can either. I mean, hell, in five years, they might be in Nashville, so who knows? Oh, man, you're just more blah. Come on, man. Oh, We're not in the uh, WTF section yet. Lobbing, lobbing grenades here, Paul. <laughs> but alas, uh, the most important thing is, is we get to see him. He's, he's up. He's in the big leagues. You get to play him. He's a great story. Uh, wishing the best here, and, and like I said, you you want the best players on every team playing, and if this helps the uh, you know the Rays get a little better and a little tougher, uh, that'll make my Yankees uh, have to you know wake up even a little more than that. But uh, that's uh, that's some good stuff there. But now, time to swing into the what the f section here at Line Drive Radio, and that takes us all the way out west to Arizona, and the Diamondbacks are having a lot of problems. In fact, buddy, I think maybe they need to bring up the Reno Aces and swap them out for uh, one of their affiliates there. Oh, I would I would say that that might not be far from happening <laughs> at this point. Oh, you know what? It, it, it's a dry heat, though, Paul. So they've got that going for them, Ooh. which is nice. Um, yeah, let, let's talk Arizona here for a second. And... Um, there, there, there's a play that kind of captures everything in Arizona. There have been a couple times where they've looked like crap on the field and the players have started barking at each other. The manager had a full-blown come to Jesus short of having s'mores and a bonfire in the dugout um, with the players at one point. Last night, they're playing your adopted Milwaukee Brewers. And Dan Vogelbach, uh, who is not to be confused with Billy Hamilton, not what I would say is the fleet of foot uh, variety. You watch him play and you're like, wow, I would love to play 12-inch softball with this guy. For those of you who understand 12-inch softball, 16-inch here in Chicago, sometimes 14-inch mush. Um, 
He's a big kid. Uh, he rounds third base and appears to suffer a leg injury. Uh, keeps going. And the Diamondbacks don't even attempt a throw home. So you got a slow runner. Uh, he of the horizontally challenged nature, which I can appreciate. Um, not what anyone would consider to be fleet of foot. Definitely not watching the Olympic trials for track and field. Maybe as a shot putter. Uh, Dan Vogelbach not even attempting a throw. The Diamondbacks have quit on the 21 season. They've quit. Awful. That's it. The WTF is full-blown quit mode in Arizona right now. Um, But let's give you the tale of the tape here. Since winning back-to-back games on the 10th and 11th of May, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks are 4-35. That's outstanding if you're trying to get the number one overall pick in the 22 draft. But here's, here's the crazy thing. And again, we talk about that's baseball. Who freaking knows what's going on with baseball? Arizona Diamondbacks, four wins since the 11th of May. Who'd they beat? Monday, they beat the first-place Milwaukee Brewers. June 1st, they beat the first-place New York Mets. May 30th, they beat the then-second-place St. Louis Cardinals, which kind of started the downturn for St. Louis. And back on May 15th, they beat the Washington Nationals, who, by the way, won a World Series a couple years ago. And they're tied, I guess you would say, virtually tied for second place right now in the National League East, even though that division's a complete tire fire. So three teams that were in first or second place account for three of those four wins, and Washington's no slouch. Um, They have lost a major league record 23 straight road games. They might never win on the road again. It is absolutely pathetic. Uh, their win on Monday against your adopted first-place Milwaukee Brewers snapped a 17-game losing streak. Uh, the milk's gone bad, as they used to say. Uh, <laughs> Arizona is uh, its a dry heat, but it's also a dumpster fire right now. Um, so the question, Paul, ultimately becomes, when do they start selling? And this, I think this is what, if, you were, if you're one of the four fans out there in Arizona that doesn't Enjoy watching your favorite spring training team come back to town. Uh, always a good road game for Cubs fans. They, they they went for it this year. They they signed Madison Bumgarner. They didn't think that they were that far off. And uh, and now here they are. Uh, you know, I would best describe their play over the last two months as uh, if you can visualize uh, a dog dragging its hind parts on concrete after ha- eating something it shouldn't have. That's basically the last seven weeks for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, but look, here's the other crazy thing. You look at their roster, and there's some pretty good players, including Madison Bumgarner, Eduardo Escobar, good player, Kettle Marte, like mm-hmm. all-star caliber player, Nick Ahmed, really nice shortstop. David Peralta probably could have left. He stayed. He's kind of become like the captain face of the franchise out there. Great dude. Talked to him in the past. Loves being in Arizona. He's worked his ass off to get to the majors. You know, incredible story but these are you know including madison bumgarner four or five guys who i think if you put them on the trade block could bring really good value back and god knows that arizona needs more pieces they've got a a few interesting young players dalton varsho uh son of former pinch hitting legend gary varsho uh one of my favorite minor leaguers right now a kid named geraldo perdomo uh, incredibly smooth young shortstop reminds me physically of Carlos Correa switch hitter. Um, they've got some young players who are coming. They're not there yet. So at what point does Arizona say, wow, we suck. 
let the veterans go somewhere and chase a ring and make room for some of these young guys to come up. And if you're going to lose anyway, at least lose getting experience for young players. Uh, I've said for a few weeks on the show now, Kettle Marte would solve a lot of the problems of your New York Yankees. Uh, you know, the hard thing for Arizona with Nick Ahmed being a good shortstop is with the shortstop free agent class that's hitting this winter, how many teams are going to part ways with a lot of assets to bring a guy in when they could just go spend the money in the offseason when, you know, you've got a half dozen guys that everybody would kill to have playing shortstop. And Eduardo Escobar is a guy, you know, third baseman with a good bat that a team like the New York Mets, you know, could probably fall in love with pretty easily. So, you know, Paul soon is is soon enough for the Diamondbacks to officially wave the white flag and put the for sale sign up and actually start pulling the trigger on stuff with the deadline, you know, being, you know, a month away. Do they wait for the deadline to get maximum value or do they look at some teams that are trying to stay in a playoff race or, you know, in the case of a team like St. Louis that could really use a pitcher like Madison Bumgarner, pull the trigger early to get maximum value. Yeah. And, and, and to not make anything, any easier with the Diamondbacks. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, Diamondbacks GM Mike uh, Hazen recently had to take a leave of absence. His uh, wife, unfortunately, is uh, seriously ill. And yeah. now um, assistant GM uh, Emil Zorde is now takes over, too. So I, I imagine that's that's just incredibly difficult situation, too, as well. I mean, the team obviously, uh, you know, stinking as much as they are. And then you're talking about buying and selling and all these players and stuff. And then, unfortunately, you have you know, real uh, terrible situation in the front office there with the GM, the guys that make the decision here. Um, I mean, that that's definitely going to affect uh, where, where this organization goes one way or the other. Obviously here with the, as far as GM Mike Hazen, you know, baseball not being important right now for him in his life. Right. Um, yeah. And that, that does complicate things. And it, it, we hope for the best in that situation, obviously. Um, but when you, when you look at what they've got going on on the field, it's not going to get better. If it does, all they're going to do is screw up where they draft. And so you could make the case that they've sufficiently tanked enough that it's time to bring the kids up and go figure out what they've got internally and chase that number one overall pick. And again, they've got some pieces that could bring back pretty decent value. I mean, Kettle Marte, we've talked about it. His contract, he's got a few years left at a very decent number for a team to absorb like the Yankees. And so, you know, what, what do they do uh, and how soon do they do it? Because I don't think there's any question that they're going to be sellers. They've got pieces that people would want. The big question is how soon do they start the selling? Because this, this year is a lost cause. They're, they're not, it's not happening in Arizona. This isn't the, there's nothing that says that this team is going to do what the nationals did a few years ago where they went from the bottom of the division to winning the world series because they went on a hot streak, the mistakes that they're making and the way that this roster has accepted failure, I think is the most frustratingly telling part of the whole thing. You don't even try a throw to get a slow runner who hurt himself at third base at the plate. You have quit. The veterans have quit. And again, we, you know, we talked about this with Javi Baez. If you have a culture that accepts failure, mm -hmm. that's what you're going to get. Yeah. And these veterans have all quit. Now, Marte's not in the lineup today. Um, they've got some young guys getting some run, it looks like, in the lineup that they published for today on Twitter. So, you know, whether or not that's getting young guys at bats or if you're pulling guys to keep them healthy for a trade, we'll find that out, obviously, soon. 
but they've quit. And that's a, that's the worst thing that you can have. If you've got an inexperienced team. That's not good. If you're in Detroit where you got young pitchers getting reps and you've got a mediocre lineup, but you're getting young guys at bats to see what you have. That's one thing. If you're Pittsburgh and you just don't have the horses to compete, that's one thing. If you've got talented veteran players who have completely quit on the season, you are accepting an organizational bottoming out. And if you accept that, you're not going to change it until there's bigger changes than the guys that are on the field. And I feel for the manager, he can only scream so loud. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't use cough drops because his pitchers would get suspended for 10 That's days. True. Save Very vocal true. cords. But, you know, you can, as a manager, you can only scream so much. And if the guys don't execute, it's ultimately on them. And what we saw last night with that Vogelbach play was a full-blown quit from the players. So if I'm the front office, I'm finding new homes for as many guys as I can, as quick as I can, because if the veterans have quit, you can't bring young guys up and put them into that culture. you got to change the culture completely. And you do that by moving the guys out who don't want to be there anymore, and they're guys that clearly don't want to be there. So WTF, Diamondbacks, what the sweet hell's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Attendance is going to go up at the Reno Aces. That's what's going on. All right. Check them out. Give them some time because it's a mess. Uh, you know, and basically your, your team becomes a minor league team. Basically because, you yeah. know, fans lose interest. You're, you're talking about, you know, everything that's going on here in terms of you, when you check out mentally as a player, um, your, your head's just not in the game. And it's, uh, you know, you just, it, it kind of trickles down there with everything else. And, and then you become, like I said, now you're a laughing stock. You're like a minor league team. You're going to go into other cities here. You talk about them probably not winning another game on the road here. Uh, you know, then, then the, now, now you become the laughing stock as far as, you know, uh, the host city, whoever they go in and play in, they don't want to lose these guys. They go out and crush them. And that's going to be the storyline for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Can they win a game on the road? And, you know, they, they've, they're having trouble with attendance as it is now. Well, and look at the top of that division. It's not like the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants are going to be like, oh, it's okay. We'll take it easy on you. <laughs> like, you got three teams that are beating each other up trying to win that division, those, trying to get it in the playoffs. Those series are so, circled on the calendar, man. Those are games. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, layup drill. So yep. um, it's, it, it's a brutal spot. But, again, you make a great point about the Reno Aces. Again, if you've listened to Line Drive Radio in the past, we are full-blown advocates. Go watch minor league baseball. Support your local minor league organizations. Buy tickets. Buy merch. Get money into the pockets of those minor league teams because they're awesome. They're great. Go watch the next generation. Two weeks ago, you could have been watching Wander Franco for 15 bucks. Yeah. Now you're going to pay full market price if there is a full market price in Tampa. But on the road, it's going to be you know, first come, first serve for tickets to see Wander Franco on the road now. Um, you know, you might have to mortgage a non-vital organ, Paulie, if you want to see him at Yankee Stadium. So, uh, so we'll uh, we'll we'll see what happens here. But yeah, go watch the Reno Aces. Uh, I invite all Diamondbacks fans to care as much about the team on the field as the team that's on the field did last night with uh, your favorite 12-inch uh, softball player and mine, Dan Vogelbach, hurting himself and still scoring without a throw. Um, <laughs> Go watch some minor league baseball because they care and they're going to keep trying. 
Absolutely. All right, Ted, before we wrap things up with your fantasy ad of the week, uh, two quick things I want to I want to come back to the, the College World Series there a little bit, just uh, maybe a, a quick uh, take of, you know, the first few games here as far as the tournament's been concerned, as the tournament's concerned, has been played here. Uh, NC State with the uh, the one nothing win over Vanderbilt the other day. Uh, games coming up here um, uh, tonight, Stanford uh, versus Vanderbilt that I just talked about, and then Texas versus Virginia. Uh, Mississippi State in there, Texas well. Um, your take on, on, on this first weekend, these first sets of games here uh, as the College World Series um, is, uh, you know, heading towards uh, crowning a champion here. Uh, I mean, if you watched Jack Leiter pitch the other day, you know why so many draft analysts are jumping up and down to give him a lot of love. I mean, he's a stud, but here they are playing Stanford in the loss side of the bracket. Um NC State's looking tremendous. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you saw, but Texas threw a little shade at Tennessee. Uh, two teams that have varying uh, orange palettes for their uniforms who uh, go by the initial UT. Mm-hmm. Texas threw a little shade at uh, the Volunteers uh, with which orange would survive, uh, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people really like what Virginia's bringing to the table. They suffered a loss. Um, look, we are so the Major League Baseball draft is July 11th, uh, which is right before the All Star game. So we're getting close here to what uh, what ultimately is going to uh, shake down with who goes where, and there are guys on each of the six remaining teams in the College World Series who will hear their names called pretty early. Uh, right now, NC State and Mississippi State, with their zero losses, are in the catbird seat, but. I don't think anybody is walking on Texas or Virginia or Virginia or Vanderbilt and, and Stanford with, with a single loss. I think these are fun games. As we said, you know, it, it's too bad that Tennessee didn't spend much time in Omaha um, <laughs> and Arizona uh, got their walking papers. The college world series went as well for the Wildcats as the rest of the baseball year is going in that state. Um but there's there's a lot to watch, and I think if you're a major league fan, you should be paying attention to these games because we're you know less than three weeks away from uh, some a lot of these names, Kumar Rocker uh, and Jack Leiter, obviously the two star pitchers at Vanderbilt being probably a couple of the headliners in this group. Uh, their names being called pretty early in baseball's draft. So uh, watch the games; they're exciting, they're fun. Again, this is college. They're using aluminum bats, which is ridiculous to me, or composite, whatever. They're not using wood, which I don't know how anybody survives pitching against that exit velocity. But the future the future of Major League Baseball is playing in Omaha right now. So go give it a watch. Uh, some of these guys could be making an impact sooner than later on Major League rosters. Absolutely. Great stuff there. Definitely uh, watch these games. They're a lot of fun. Last thing I want to say here, I just want to throw a tip of the cap to uh, Mark DeRosa. Uh, you know him, Tab Two, former Cubby there for for about a season. Played on about eight different MLB teams. Uh, Mark is uh, an analyst on uh, MLB Network, and I caught him the other day uh, doing a breakdown. He does this on on certain players and stuff throughout the uh, the season stuff. But man, he did a phenomenal breakdown on Matt Olson's um, you know mechanics at the plate and everything. And uh, I just would recommend anybody who watched it. And I don't know if you got to catch it yourself. But man, if you if you're a fan and you you talk about you know Wanda Franco there, what you were saying, how he hit the ball, um, and I think it's a great thing to I I, I just love what Mark does, um, and if you're a fan and he talks about stances, power, 
uh, different pitches and everything else. It's a phenomenal job that they do on uh, MLB Network. I think their analysts just do a, uh, you know, even pitching, uh, their roundtable. It, it's it's top notch. It's class stuff. But it was great to skim by the other day and catch Mark doing a breakdown of Matt Olson and highlighting him as not only a player on on a great athletics team that's playing really well this year, uh, but just beautiful stuff. And I just wanted to know if uh, if you've caught that. Uh, maybe you, you get your talks, uh, you get your take there on Mark, and, and also maybe just even Matt Olson as a player this year as well. Yeah, Matt Olson's terrific, and you know you look at a small market team, and Olson and Chapman in Oakland are as good defensively as any corner infielders in the game. Um, and I think you're right. MLB Network does; they've got some really good analysts that come in. Um, they've got some really sharp guys. I think Bill Ripken does a really good job of this, also. Uh, sometimes they'll have other guys coming in. Pedro Martinez will break down pitching. Yep. Jim Tomey will talk hitting. You know, they get really strong guys who have, in some cases, Hall of Fame credentials, talking about their approach, their personal approach, what they see from different guys, the flaws that they see, uh, the good that they see. Um, and yeah, I saw that breakdown that DeRosa did. It was terrific. And, you know, I will go find that stuff on Twitter or YouTube and I'll share it with my kid. Because, uh, you know, there comes a point where as a parent or as a, if you're paying a coach on a travel team or whatever, the voice gets stale. Um, and there's a, they do a wonderful job, you know, and we joke around in Chicago with hockey. Eddie Olchek says for all you young hockey players out there when he does a breakdown mm-hmm. uh, with the dry erase marker or whatever, the crayons on the uh, telecast. But they do an incredible job of breaking stuff down in a way that it can benefit young baseball players as much as, they're just educating the masses. So I love what they do on MLB Network. Good call. Uh, you know, DeRosa did a great job with the Olsen. And I think if you watch the show, various shows every night on MLB Network, there's a lot that you can take away from an educational standpoint. And I think young baseball players from 8 to 18 can, can take a lot away from the way that they break down guys' swing path, their approach. Uh, the way that pitchers do go about their business on the mound. There's a lot that they break down that goes well beyond what you get from a lot of the other sports specific networks. And certainly, you know, stuff like ESPN doesn't bring to the table what they do because they're focused specifically on baseball. And I think that they really, really do a nice job of that. Yeah. Uh, and that to me is, it's just the focus on the art of baseball, uh, especially the individual performances and how these guys succeed in the game on that level. All right. Before we close the concession stands, turn the lights off and lock up the gates here on the stadium here at Line Drive Radio. We always do tabs, fantasy, add-on of the week. So get your notebooks out and your pads and papers and write this down because Tab has got a winner for you. Take it away, Tab. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll distribute our PayPal addresses at the end of the season so that any proceeds you feel we're obligated to get for our picks to click, you can go ahead and send those our way. Uh, this week, uh, you know, we just spent some time trashing Arizona and talking about how the top of that division was playing so well. Injuries keep hitting every team. You know, the White Sox, I think, have 25 outfielders on the list right now. Buxton's out. So lots of fantasy owners are looking for somebody to help them out in a pinch. Uh, so we're going to go up the state of California to San Francisco this week. Uh, and our uh, fantasy ad of the week is Steven Duggar. Uh, not of the Duggar family. He does not have 17 siblings, uh, but he does have an OPS over 1,000 in 18 games in June. 
Uh, he's got a 380 on base percentage with six home runs for the Giants this year. He's playing well in June. He's had a strong season, and he is only owned in 17% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. So if your league is one of the other 83% uh, where he's not owned, and you're one of the many fantasy owners that is scrambling to fill a gap right now because so many players keep going down with different injuries, Steven Duggar of the San Francisco Giants might be an outfielder for you to consider. So go get you some Steven Duggar. I like it. Add Steven Duggar right now. I love his name, man. God, that's a great baseball on the name, man. on the first place San Francisco still yes first place San Francisco Giants who them Dodgers who them Padres we got the Giants baby hitting that stuff out of that ballpark into the boats and the water and the drink out there in the Frisco Bay good stuff as always tabs fans you know, uh, add on and make sure you send us all that money at the end of the year though we want it in one lump sum. All right, so here we go, folks. It's um, time to say goodbye, unfortunately. Line Drive Radio, episode 14. Man, we are just rolling these uh, shows out here, Tab. It's unbelievable stuff. Uh, we want to thank uh, all you guys and gals out there for listening subscribing. And as always, we want to tip our caps to Revolver Podcasts for adding us to the network. Uh, just getting started. Uh, so whole, that whole crew there, we appreciate it. And check out RevolverPodcast.com and their other network shows as we are very happy to join their family as well. So with that said, um, Paul Cupper here on Long Island, about to uh, walk off, not to a standing ovation, but to some appreciation here from all the fans here at Line Drive Radio. And as always, Tab, say goodbye to the folks, buddy. I'm going to drag bunt to the finale here. Uh, Remember, kids, uh, get yourself a glove and a ball, go out, play the catch, uh, go watch a minor league game, catch you some College World Series this weekend. Uh, and make sure that you are enjoying the game. Uh, don't worry about rosin and suntan lotion. Uh, we're not suspending any of our listeners for 10 games for paying attention to the game. Go out and enjoy what's good about the game, even if the commissioner doesn't want you to. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to do any pregame shows at any MLB stadiums with that kind of talk, Mr. Banfield. Well, between that and the cigars, I'm not sure they're letting us in the ballpark. But here we are. <laughs> Line Drive Radio. It's all good, baby. We'll stay on our own path. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Stay safe out there. Be good to each other. And as always, label! LDR is out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.